In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies, it is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Following the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard. And welcome to another edition of Strange Planet. And for those of you watching on YouTube, as you can see, I'm away from the uh, the home studio and I'm at my mom's place in Brantford, just about 90 minutes down the, um, the 401 and the 403 from Old Thornhill, where I usually am perched. Uh, and uh, mom's doing great. She's uh, approaching her 98th birthday, and it's uh, it's great to spend to have had a, a week to spend with her. We're going to get into the uh, death and life of Edgar Allan Poe, and um, not sure if you're uh, familiar with the amazing uh, work of this gothic horror author Edgar Allan Poe. Certainly, an American treasure, and uh, we're going to get into 
his life and mysterious death, as I say, with Mark Dewidziak, who is a journalism graduate of George Washington University. Mark has worked as a theater, film, and television critic since 1979. He started his journalism career in the Washington, D.C. Bureau of Knight Ritter Newspapers and the Associated Press. He's been the television critic for The Plain Dealer in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, since the late 90s, as a member of the Television Critics Association Board of Directors for five years, and he has won five Cle Cleveland Press uh, Club Awards for entertainment writing, uh, as well as a Society of Profes uh, Professional Journalists Award for coverage of uh, a variety of uh, different issues. And uh, he's the author of The Night Stalker Companion, and everything I needed to know, I learned in the Twilight Zone. And uh, his latest is, as I say, uh, the uh, a mystery of mysteries, the death and life of Edgar Allan Poe. Mark, welcome back to Strange Planet. How are you? It's good to be back. I'm, I'm good. I'm, how can I be bad? And we're talking about Edgar Allan Poe. So uh, how, how can we possibly be bad? So just uh, if you could give us your uh, impressions about Poe's importance in the literary field and, and the mark that he left on uh, the gothic horror genre in American literature. Well, it's 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 not only the mark that he's left, it's how we define it. Um, you know, I think people are always kind of uh, surprised to find out that uh, Edgar Allan Poe's collected works runs to beyond 17 volumes when they collected Poe's works in the early 1900s. There was 17 volumes of work, and we've discovered quite a bit since then. And about this much of it is what we would call today gothic or horror. About you know that much of it is is it's just that it is so resonant, and he was so good at it that it has overshadowed everything else he did. So um, we 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 branded Poe. Branding is a it's a it's a 20th century American conceit where we brand a writer or an actor or a director. Well, Hitchcock made thrillers or John Ford made westerns or Stephen King is a horror writer. We kind of did that with Poe was we we took those small group of stories and we completely defined him. And fame has been something of a double edged sword for for Poe. Uh, on the one hand, that small group of stories has kept him alive, not only kept him alive but has kept him probably the best read American writer around the world. And I would, I'd say in the United States and around the world. And I don't even think there's a good second choice because everybody, everybody gets Poe. You got Poe, I got Poe, all God's chillings get Poe. Everybody <laughs> at some point in junior high school, right about the seventh grade, gets the Telltale Heart and the mm. Raven and the Cask of Amontillado and the Black Cat and it gets reintroduced throughout high school. And then if you take literature classes in college, you're probably going to get Poe again. So everybody gets Poe and they not only get Poe, they get Poe at such a great age. What a ma magnificent age to give kids Poe right around, you know, early adolescence, seventh grade. You're just at the point where your imagination needs that great jump start, And not only that, but we're probably reading is considered a chore. You're, you're, you know, most kids in the seventh grade don't look forward to reading and reading assignments. 
And then all of a sudden we're giving them Edgar Allan Poe. And what's Poe doing? Oh, he's walling people up in catacombs and dismembering <laughs> corpses and and putting people in torture chambers. And, and, you know, reading is all of a sudden fun. It's like, this is reading? This is great. This is fantastic. And not only do kids love getting Poe at that age, teachers love teaching Poe at that age because everybody comes alive for ironic because Poe writes about death, but everybody comes alive uh, when, when, when Poe is, is taught. So two things have kind of kept Poe going. This is one, two punch that have kept him alive for somebody who died in 1849, the pop culture, because mm. the pop culture not only has relentlessly um, embraced Poe, and marketed Poe. Poe is the most marketed writer. We have every we have Poe action figures, Poe plushies, Poe buttons, Poe socks, Poe tea, Poe any. We are more items devoted to Edgar Allan Poe than any other writer in the history of the planet. Hmm. There's nobody. There's no clear second choice. All you have to do is look at Etsy and look at how many items are offered for Poe, and then look at any other writer, Shakespeare, Twain, anybody else. Poe's way out in front. You can walk into a Barnes and Noble store or BAM and see shelves of merchandise devoted to Poe. Where are the shelves for Longfellow? Where are the shelves for Melville? They don't exist. So the pop culture has not only kept Poe alive, but kept him recognizable. Is that if I say Edgar Allan Poe, you've got a, 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 a vision in your head. You've got an image of who Poe is. How many people could pick Longfellow or Melville out of a police lineup? <laughs> you ask them to identify them. But they not only know what who Poe is, they know what he looks like. You can put Poe on T-shirts. You can put Poe on, 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 on buttons and people, oh, Edgar Allan Poe. Well, that kind of fame is almost impossible for a writer. That's 24-carat celebrity fame. And so Poe has that because the pop culture and curriculum has combined to keep him not just alive, but the most alive writer. Poe dies in 1849 under mysterious circumstances. Yes. He's buried the next day. He's buried again the next day because he, uh, somebody he thought was a friend, but was actually a bitter enemy, writes an obituary in a New York newspaper that begins our mystifying of Poe. He did everything he could to make Poe sound like a scoundrel and a drunkard and a, a, a derelict. And um, then in, 18, in the 1870s, they dug him up and we buried him yet again because they wanted to put a nice monument where, well, there wasn't room for that monument in the, the place where he was originally buried in the Baltimore Cemetery. So they moved him they buried, and they, they buried him again. Poe, this guy's been buried more times. But if you know anything about Edgar Allan Poe stories, there's one truism. Nothing stays buried. And that's true of Poe. Poe has has jumped out of the grave. Isn't it amazing that he died? He died just as as he wrote, as he lived, he steeped did. in mystery. I mean, obviously the circumstances surrounding his death very tragic and died too young, but in a way, I, I wonder if he would have been looking down on all of this mystery and kind of smiling and thinking, wow, this would have made a great book. A post scholar that I interviewed for the book said that uh, it's almost as if a PR agent stepped in at one point and said, you know, Eddie, the best thing for you would be to die at 40 and not just die at 40, but die under circumstances which reflect your two greatest literary achievements. 
you invented the modern horror story and Poe dies under circumstances which would not be out of place in one of his own horror stories. And you invented the modern detective story, the mystery story. And Poe leaves us with a mystery. He not only leaves us with a mystery, he leaves us with a double-barreled mystery, which is not just what did he die of, but also what happened to him during the missing days before he died because he goes missing. And there's no witnesses that have ever come forward to say so much as, oh, yes, I passed him on the street during those days or um, I, I, I had a drink with him. Nothing. There's nothing. So Poe leaves us under circumstances which are reflective of his two greatest literary achievements. Well, if that's not the greatest literary stage exit in history, I don't know what is. You know, there have been some really good ones, really, really good stage. Aid. Moliere, you know, Moliere was a playwright as well as being an actor. And Moliere is dying uh, as they are premiering his latest play. Hmm. And he's dying of tuberculosis and he can barely get through the performance and he collapses on stage and they drag him into the wings and they revive him and he goes back and he finishes the play and he goes home and he dies. That is pretty good for a playwright and an actor. And then there's Twain who was born with Halley's Comet in the night sky in 1835 and correctly predicts that he will die when the comet comes back in 1910, 74 years later. And he pulls it off. He does it. That's pretty good. But in some way, Poe beats them all because Poe actually dies under circumstances, which are is reflective of his two greatest literary achievements and what we're still uh, championing him for uh, today. And that's that is certainly one thing that is uh, there's an irony to that, that the how he died. It's the it's the reason for the subtitle of the book being reversed. A mystery of mysteries, the death and life of Edgar Allan Poe, because frequently most biographies start where any life would start when somebody is born. You always kind of start a biography. And with Poe, it always seems reversed. The, the conversation always seems to start with how he died. It always seems to begin with his death, not with his life. So I reversed it. I made it the death and life of Edgar Allan Poe, not just because of that, but also because of what we were just talking about, is that, yeah, he dies, but his afterlife is immense. He just, he's going to escape it all. He's going to have the last laugh. Um, you know, he's going to be remembered more than the people who were supposed to outlive him. All those writers who were supposed to be better than he was and greater than he was and were going, their fame would outshine him and outlast him. Where are they? Mm. Where are they? You mentioned, so, I, I want to get into the, the life. Uh, and then of course we will, we'll, uh, we'll get to the mysterious death, but, um, you mentioned the basically giving birth to detective fiction and predating Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Uh, did Arthur Conan Doyle, did he talk about, did he give credit to Edgar Allan Poe? Was he a fan of Edgar Allan Poe? Yes. And not only gave him credit, but did so on several times. Um, as there's, there's a, the first known one is right after Sherlock Holmes became a sensation, uh, Conan Doyle visited America and reporters um, flocked to see him. And um, they were kind of baiting him, you know, because the, they were Americans and they wanted to take, you know, the pride of that. That Poe had gotten there first hmm. and Poe had created the model for the super sleuth. Uh, Poe's detective C. Auguste Dupin. Uh, is featured in three short stories that Poe wrote. And he is the model for not only Sherlock Holmes, but Hercule Poirot, Lord Peter Rimsey, all the, the sort of super sleuths that are going to follow. 
the people who walk into a room, they're brighter than anybody else and they see what nobody else sees and therefore can solve them, the, the, the seemingly impossible mysteries. Well, that conceit is what Poe came up with. So the reporters kind of, you know, figuring Conan Doyle would bristle a little bit. Didn't Poe come up with this first? And he surprised them all. Doyle basically said, yes, that's exactly right. Uh, Poe came up with it first. Uh, everybody else is living off of what Poe did. And he repeats this. So often he does a speech on the 100th anniversary of Poe's birth in 1909. He gives a speech and he basically says, where was the mystery story before Edgar Allan Poe breathed life into it? So, yes, Doyle not only acknowledged Poe's influence, he championed Poe. He was a, he was a champion of Poe and Poe's influence and certainly acknowledged that uh, Poe was there first and basically came up with the role model that everybody else, you know, I don't want to say ripped off. We'll just say vamped on after that. Stood on the shoulders of giants. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What was his What was his childhood like? His formative years that that molded him into this amazing writer. You know, the, the loss is is sort of a key word with Poe. Poe is is born in eighteen oh nine. He is the son of actors. Uh, his father is not a very good actor, but his mother is. Eliza Poe is one of the the great actors. Uh, on the American stage. She's a young, she's beautiful. She can sing, she can dance, she can do comedy, she can do tragedy, she can do Shakespeare. And if you were an actor back then, you had to do all those things. Being an actor is a very hard life um, in, in America in the, in the early 1800s. You were traveling from town to town. You did not do one play in a town in like today for a week or two weeks. You did different plays every single night because the audience the, the theater going audience was small, so they wanted to see something different every single night. So you had to learn a staggering number of roles and you had to be ready to do them at any point. The dressing rooms were, were horrible beyond rat infested, you know, dressing rooms. The hotels were not much better that they were staying in. They were traveling and if cholera was raging or smallpox or yellow fever or, uh, you know, whatever, you were susceptible to all of it. And, um, if you were not acting, you were expected to take tickets or tear down scenery or move scenery or whatever. So Elizabeth Poe, she was a, Eliza Poe was a, was a, she died at 24 and she died of tuberculosis and, 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 and Edgar is not yet three years old when she dies. Uh, Poe was born in Boston, but uh, Eliza Poe died in Richmond, Virginia and uh, a city which, which, loved her as an actress. So she dies there and Poe is taken in by the Allen family. It's where the Allen part of his name comes part, Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, John Allen is a Richmond merchant. His wife is one of the women who took care of Eliza Poe as she was dying. And uh, they take Edgar in. There are three children. The children are taken in by different families and Edgar's taken in by the Allens. John Allen never adopts, formally adopts Edgar. He's he is a foster child and he is made to feel that he is given a, a very good upbringing. He's been give, given a good education. He is raised as a southern aristocratic gentleman, but he is always reminded that he is an outsider and that he is the beneficiary of charity, if you will. 
So John Allen is a very forbidding presence. And uh, the older Poe gets, the more they do not get along. And uh, Allen eventually disinherits Poe completely. Uh, when John Allen dies extraordinarily wealthy, um, he could have left a very little bit amount of money to Poe, and it would have been sufficient for Poe to have been comfortable for the rest of his life. John Allen leaves nothing to, to Edgar Allan Poe. John Allen leaves money to illegitimate children, and he doesn't leave any money to Poe. So Poe, um, he tries going to the University of Virginia. John Allen sends him to the University of Virginia uh, at Charlottesville without enough money, without sufficient money. So Poe falls to uh, gambling, and he um, tries alcohol for the first time. And alcohol is going to become a continuing problem throughout his life. Not the problem that most people think it is, because like everything else with Poe, there's misconceptions. And one of the misconceptions of Poe was that he was perpetually drunk. Um, no, there was long, long periods of sobriety. You don't live to be 40. Write enough to fill 17 volumes of work of high, high quality with, with being uh, inebriated all the time. So there are these long documented periods where he is sober. But one thing we pretty certain of is that Poe was allergic to alcohol. He would take one drink and he never savored a drink. He never said that he just charged it back. And he was he was immediately drunk on, on, on that much alcohol. It looked like he'd been drinking for hours. And then the recovery period was long. It wasn't just a morning hangover for Poe. Um, he It took days for him to recover from these bouts of, of alcohol. So Poe wasn't drinking like we think of, a, you know, a perpetual drunk drinks. Um, Poe's problem is that he takes the worst possible time to drink throughout his life. Whenever it's going to do him the most harm, you can bet that's the moment he takes a drink. And uh, that's true in a lot of things with Poe's life. He, he's in a lot of times his own worst enemy. He takes the worst moment to pick a fight with somebody or to alienate somebody who could do him some good. Um, this is, this is a theme throughout his life, but he's, he is looking, you know, he loses, he, he loses his foster mother. Uh, he loses his mother. His brother dies of tuberculosis, uh, when he's in his twenties. Um, he's going to lose his wife in, in, when she's in her early twenties to tuberculosis. So th there is this pattern of loss throughout his life. And he's always sort of searching for family. He is always, there's always this search for the stability of a family, you know, and he kind of finds that in Baltimore after he's in the army, he tries the army, he tries West Point, And then he, um, he, he, he goes and, and moves in with his aunt, Mariah Clem in Baltimore. And here is where he finds this, what he so badly needs. And uh, he marries his first cousin, who is 13 at the time. Mm. And, you know, there, you might as well go ahead and say that and get the ick factor out there. <laughs> well, <laughs> because everybody's going to do it anyway. Uh, all I can say is marrying young was not that odd back then. And marrying your first cousin was not that odd back then. It has a tremendous ick factor now. It's 100 but, years before Jerry Lee Lewis. <laughs> but, right. And, and Poe was sensitive to it, by the way. Poe changed her age on the marriage certificate to 17. So he clearly was a little sensitive to it. But no matter what you think of it, it was a happy marriage. They were devoted to each other. Um, it was a very, for as long as, as, as Virginia lived. So basically, his aunt, Mariah Clem, becomes his mother-in-law. 
And the three of them are a household and they are very happy. They are, they are very there. They love each other, very supportive of each other. It is here. Poe finds that unconditional love he needs. And not surprisingly, he enters in this golden period of writing. Uh, he moves to Philadelphia in around 1838. And it's there. It's actually in Philadelphia. For, he's there about six years. And he writes most of the stories we know him for. He writes The Telltale Heart in the Fall, The House of Usher, <coughs> excuse me, and The Pit and the Pendulum, and The Black Cat. Almost all of these are written in this time period. <coughs> excuse me. Mark, I'm going to jump in here. <clears throat> Pardon the interruption. I'm, I'm yep, going to take go a quick uh, a quick time out. You get a glass of water and we'll be back you, you, you. to discuss the death and life of Edgar Allan Poe. Mark DeWitziak stays with us. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. It's time to redefine reality. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. And we are back with Mark DeWidziak, The Death and Life of Edgar Allan Poe. How do we get a copy? Oh, uh, it's it's a St. Martin's publication. So anywhere at your bookstore near you, uh, Amazon, any uh, any any online bookseller, it's it's readily available through just about anywhere. All right. So um, let's uh, let's get to, uh, I guess, the summer of 1849. Edgar Allan Poe embarks. Was it a speaking tour? Um, No, uh, it was not. It was it was more a the the dream of Poe's life was to own and edit his own magazine. This was what he really, really see. Poe was the first American writer to try to live only by writing. Most writers of that century uh, had other jobs. They 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 taught. They were at universities. They uh, you know whatever they they were uh, worked in government jobs. But in Poe wanted to try to live by his talent by his and that was hard to do because there were no copyright laws. Poe was compensated very little for his best work. Because as soon as it was published, he might get paid for it right up front, but then it was stolen and duplicated up and down the eastern seaboard, uh, and there was nothing stopping it. So Poe made very, very little money off of his uh, of what he did. One way you could make money was if you actually were the proprietor of your own magazine, and that's what Poe really always wanted. He always wanted to have his own outlet that he controlled. In that last year. He finally found a backer for what he called the stylus, his magazine. And he was what he was what he was doing was he was taking a little bit of a trip uh, down to Richmond. He was living in New York at the time in what is now the Bronx. Uh, he was living in a small cottage there. And so he's heading really for Richmond and he's he's trying to raise money for the magazine. He's trying to get subscriptions. He's trying to do interest. And if he can lecture here or there, he was a he was a wonderful performer. He loved uh, giving lectures. He was very good at it. He was a very good at 
doing his own poetry and uh, doing lectures on the poetic principle or whatever. He was a mesmerizing speaker. And um, so if he could lecture a, a couple times, and he did that summer, he would do that as well. But that was sort of another way of uh, kicking up interest in the magazine. Um, so he's, he, he leaves for New York on his way to Richmond. He's going to stop in Philadelphia and then go on to, to Richmond. And um, the book is structured as with a dual timeline. Uh, we bounce back and forth between those last four months, those desperate last four months of his life that are going to take him to Baltimore and his death in October. And those chapters alternate with the big chapters about the various portions of his life. And then the two timelines meet at the end. And I present my theory as to what I think uh, Poe died of. Um, we won't reveal that. We, people can uh, can read the book to find that out. But um, yeah, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I prefer not to, although I will I will say it is not a theory I insist on. Um, I've been very, very clear about this from the beginning. Um, when the idea of the book was actually not mine, I, I love Edgar Allan Poe. I've carried him throughout my entire life. I actually read him before junior high school. So I mean, I was a monster kid, what we call the monster kid. We call the, we didn't have that term back in the sixties. We, we, we just said we're horror fans, but, hmm. um, now we call people who watched universal horror movies and 50 science fiction movies and the twilight zone and the outer limb. We, we, we now say, Oh, you were a monster kid. And so, yeah, I, 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 I was, um, you know, I all, I have all 13 of my Aurora monster models right over here, you know, oh, I'm envious, my, Mark, I'm envious. <laughs> and, um, so I knew Poe, I, 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 I knew and loved Poe, you know, even before junior high school. Um, but I never really thought of myself as a candidate to write his, uh, his biography. And it was an editor at St. Martin's who suggested it. But I think he also was thinking about a book that would um, solve definitively the mystery of how he Poe died. And um, sort of one of like one of those books that arrive every two years purporting to finally solved the case of who Jack the Ripper is. You know, we get that book every mm -hmm. two years without fail, it seems. So, you know, I said to the, the this editor at the time, I said, like, whoa, 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 you, you do understand this is a cold case. You know, there was no autopsy. And had there been an autopsy, it would have been worthless because they didn't really know how to do autopsies mm -hmm. in the 18th century. It was the Civil War was the defining moment for the art of the autopsy because we got very good at cutting up bodies and dissecting them. So if Poe had died, you know, 20, 30 years later, he would have had a very good aut autopsy probably. But he had no autopsy, no death certificate, um, no surviving soft tissue that can be subjected to any forensic tests. Um no reliable witnesses. All of the witnesses to Poe's death are not only unreliable, they contradict each other and sometimes themselves. Even the attending physician changes, leaves behind three accounts of Poe's death. He actually changes the time of death between accounts. And in one point, he also changes Poe's last words. So this guy is the one guy we need to be completely reliable in his observational skills is totally unreliable. So I said, you know, if that's the kind of book you want, you better go find yourself another lunatic because, you know, this <laughs> one's driving, this one's driving away. And uh, I said, but I'll tell you what I will do. I will write a book about how Edgar Allan Poe lived, the mystery of his life, because 
how he lived fascinates me more than how he died. And I will look, examine his life through the prism of that, that mystery. And if I can come up with what I think is a compelling theory as to how he died, um, I will present it. And if I can disprove certain theories along the way, because we're up to about 25 theories as to how Poe died, um, I will do that. I said, but what I will not do is I will not claim that it can be definitively proved. I can build a very good circumstantial case, but I am not going to go so far as to say there is definitive proof for this. That would be irresponsible. And I, I will not. Well, they were happy with that. They said, that's good. That's fine. We, we, we'll, we'll take it according to those rules. And that's precisely what I did. I, I think I came up with a, a cause that makes sense. I think I made a. I think I've come up with a with a way that Poe died that um, makes a very compelling case. Um, but if you ask me, can I prove it? I will tell you without question, no. And I'm not even sure I want to prove it. Um, there are some mysteries which are better off not known, and um, I think there's a certain romanticism to. Poe dying under mysterious circumstances. So if anybody says to me, I don't, I, I don't think you're right. I think he died of this. I said, fine. You know, I've got no dog in the fight. Right. You know, I, I, uh, this is my theory as to how he died. The questions on- are always more interesting than the answers ultimately. Right. Exactly. Uh, what, well, what, what, let's uh, get into a little bit what we do know, uh, because as you mentioned, he was on his way from Richmond to uh, New York via Baltimore uh, right. Was he- yeah. They, they were, they, Baltimore would have been where the uh, the steam. He, he gets on a steamer in Richmond. He, that's where his last scene. Some friends take him off to the docks in Richmond. He, he gets on the steamer and that's it. That's like a curtain coming down at that point, because at that point, until he is found a few days later, insensible, wearing clothes that were not his own in front of a polling place. In Baltimore, there is not one person who has ever stepped forward to say, yeah, I had a conversation with him on the steamer at the railing or I uh, I passed him on the street in Baltimore or nothing. You know, you would think, well, at least one or two people might have come forward after Poe's death to say, yes, I was there. I saw this or I saw that. There's nothing. There's nothing. Those days are completely shielded from our view. So we don't even know what condition Poe was in when he left Richmond. Did he not, he to, didn't he, have, didn't he uh, stop in Richmond before he got on the ferry to see a doctor for a fever? Or is that a problem? No, he didn't. That's kind ah. of the funny thing is he goes to see the woman who he had an understanding. They might've been formally engaged or there or had an understanding. We're, we're not really sure whether they were formally engaged, but this was actually a, a childhood sweetheart uh, from, from, from that he had gotten back in touch with Elmira Royster Shelton. And they clearly had an understanding, and uh, he probably was going to end up marrying her. He goes to see her the night before he's going to leave. And she said, Poe looked feverish. His pulse was racing. She thought he looked so badly, she thought he wasn't going to get on the steamer. He would be in no condition to make the trip. So when Poe left her house... He left her with the impression that he was a very sick man. Now, he immediately leaves the house of Elmire and he goes to see the doctor you're talking about, Dr. Carter, 
And he stays with Dr. Carter. He reads some of the magazines and Dr. Carter. They talk pleasantly. He mistakenly takes Dr. Carter's sword cane with him when he goes. And he says he's going to meet friends for dinner. Dr. Carter never, he leaves behind a full account of this. And remember, he's a doctor. He makes no mention of Poe looking sick, acting sick, no fever, nothing. Hmm. It's a it's a perfect. So he, within the few minutes it takes Poe to go from Elmira Royster Shelton's house to Dr. Carter's house, you get two completely different descriptions of Poe's general health. He then goes, has dinner with friends. He didn't say, he says to Dr. Carter, I'm going to go have dinner with friends. He does. And he has a good time with his friends. And they see him off. On, and they don't mention that he looks sick or ill. This is the kind of wildly contradictory evidence that always surrounds Poe's last days. Which evidence do we put our, our stock in? Do we put it in the hands of a doctor who is with him and, and, and doesn't comment on whether Poe looks ill or not? You would think he would. If Poe was looking as ill as, as Elmira said he looked, you would think a medical doctor would have commented on it. Elmira is so sure he's not going to make the trip. She goes to his boarding house the next day. Sure, he's still he's going to be there. And he only to learn, no, he left. He's gone. He got on the steamer. So this is what this is the type of thing you always have to take account into, into Poe. You have to weigh the evidence very, very carefully with Poe and say, here's what this person says. But look, you've got witnesses here and here and they say this. You can't be selective about your witnesses. You can't be, you have to present all of it and say, okay, this is what the record is. I'm not trying to build a case for one for the other. I am trying to tell you exactly what happened. Uh, even the great Poirot, I think, would have been stumped by this case. We'll take another time out. Back with more of my conversation with Mark DeWidziak as we discuss the mysterious death and life of Edgar Allan Poe. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Follow Richard on Twitter at Richard Serrett. For show information, visit the website strangeplanet.ca. Mark DeWidziak is with us, and we are talking about Edgar Allan Poe, A Mystery of Mysteries, The Death and Life of Edgar Allan Poe. And uh, is that available on Amazon as well? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Terrific. Mm -hmm. All right. So, uh, at some uh, Poe arrives what several days later in in Baltimore. Oh, he would have arrived almost. I mean, the, the trip to Baltimore on a steamer would, would would you know he'd have been there very very quickly. Now there were looked like he had plans to go to Philadelphia. You know, he would have probably got on a train in Baltimore and gone to Philadelphia. It's possible he did. He was, he was going to edit um, a collection of poetry by a, a woman and felt that he's going to get paid for it. The woman's a husband was going to pay him for this. Um, so he, there were plans for him to go to Philadelphia, then go on to New York. Did he? Uh, we don't know. Like, again, these days, are there was time for him to do it. Um, but we have no witnesses. If he went to Philadelphia, there are no witnesses in Philadelphia that said, yeah, he was here. Yeah, he did this. Yeah, he did that. Um, you know, he arrives in Baltimore. You know, he gets he would have he would have disembarked from the steamer in Baltimore. Now, Baltimore is a very, very rough town. 
that back then. It had a reputation for being a very, if you were an Eastern seaboard city, if you had a harbor, you had a rough district, you had a rough area. And Baltimore, even for Eastern seaboard uh, reputation at the time, Baltimore was known as a tough town. In fact, they were known as mob town. That was their nickname back then because they would riot at the drop of a hat. And they took their rioting very seriously. They they would riot and they would drive out the sheriff and the mayor. They would burn down the houses of rich people. It would take days for the militia and the army to restore order. It, it This was a rough town, you know. So if Poe arrived and there was an election going on on top of everything else, <clears throat> and that was rough times for um, because uh, there were roving bands of political thugs who would Shanghai people. Right. Force you to vote for their candidate. And they would make you repeat, not just vote, but repeat. They would take you from polling place to polling place to repeat vote. In between, they would keep you in an area which became known as a pen or a coop. So the practice became known as cooping. And this has become a leading theory as to what happened to Poe, was that um, if he were very sick, being kept, and it was a very cold early October, and it was cold, wet, damp. If if he were being kept uh, in uh, under these cooping conditions, it might explain why he was found in clothes that weren't his own, ill-fitting clothes, because they would change their the clothes of the people so they would be harder for them to be recognized. Um, it's a very good Baltimore theory as to why to, to sort of explain the missing days and explaining why Poe was found in the condition in which he was found. Yeah, delirious, seemingly in a drunken stupor, but maybe not, maybe just delirious from There's no proof that he's been drinking. There's right. absolutely no proof that he was drinking. It doesn't mean he wasn't because uh, people who were cooped sometimes were plied with liquor uh, or drugs. So it's possible he had been given uh, alcohol um, but we don't know. Again, you know, it's not nobody took a blood alcohol test. Nobody tested his, you know, he's, that all comes from the fact that, you know, Poe had bouts of drinking. So people assumed, aha, here he is insensible, uh, you know, in, in this state. He must have been drinking. And, um, you know, t- t- a doctor that he knows, Dr. Snodgrass, is sent for when he is taken inside the polling place, which was a tavern inn. Um, so they take him inside and this Dr. Snodgrass who's an old friend arrives and he assumes Poe's been drinking. And he later goes on the lecture circuit as guess what? A temperance speaker. He's an advocate of temperance. So it's to his best wishes in many ways to for Poe to have died of drink. He can make Poe a cautionary tale and say, mm-hmm. see, this this is what killed the, the great Edgar Allan Poe. Don't drink, you know. Well, the attending physician is just as sure Poe wasn't drinking. The attending physician said, no, Poe had not been drinking. There were also tests done on Poe's hair. There were snips of Poe's hair cut at the point of death. That was very common back then. People would take snips of hair as a souvenir and they would send it to loved ones and things like that. There were many snips and they were survi- They survived and the hair can, hair can be tested. It's one of the few things that survive of Poe that can be tested. And one of the things that can be tested is what shows up is what you consumed, what you ate, what your diet was like. All we can tell all that from your hair for hair analysis. And the hair analysis, uh, you know, Poe took a temperance pledge when he was in Richmond. And 
it, it seems to bear out that he kept the pledge that he had not been drinking during those those last those last few few weeks. Um, so you know you can't rule it out. You can't say that he you know that he hadn't been given alcohol that he hadn't been you know, but again, there's no evidence for it. There there's there's and actually the evidence seems to go against it. You know, the uh, there's even this theory that uh, because of the sort of the trajectory of the illness, he seemed to be better, then he got worse, and then he came out of it a little bit, then got worse again, uh, that he may have had something like rabies. It wasn't rabies. That was one of the things we know it wasn't. I mean, rabies has remained very popular. It is. It became a theory. But, you know, there's two things. And again, you can't rule out anything. I can't, yeah, it's just as I can't definitively prove it was something, I can't definitively prove it wasn't. And that's because Poe dies under what is medically known as or forensically known as non-specific circumstances. If you look at the symptoms that Poe dies under, they fit an enormous number of possible causes. You know, he was delirious. You know, he, he was rambling. Uh, he's, you know, he, he was insensible. Uh, he was, you know, uh, his nervous system was was shot. A lot of things can cause that. A lot of possible things can cause that. That, that those those symptoms are incredibly nonspecific and they're incredibly common to for a lot of possible causes. So what somebody can do is you can take those symptoms and bend your theory around them. Mm-hmm. But you have to look at the best evidence. Best evidence suggests that Poe drank, was given water and bouillon and other things while he was in the hospital. If he took one sip of water, and he undoubtedly did while he was hospitalized, it wasn't rabies because you can't drink. You know, you have an aversion to water if you if you're if you're dying from rabies. Also, the body, you know, as soon as he was, you know, taken to Washington Hospital, he was examined. There was no comment on a bite wound of any kind of any. uh, So both of those things suggest it probably wasn't rabies. And, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll go so far as to say most likely not rabies. You know, can you rule out could they have missed a bite? Could they have missed a wound? Could they, you know, yeah, anything's possible. But. I think it's fairly clear he took liquids uh, during the time he was in uh, those the, the days he was in, and if he had not been able to swallow water, it would have been remarked on. It would have been remarked. So that is one of the things I kind of say, you know, unlikely. The uh, the variations <laughs> on his and confusion surrounding his last words. What were some of the the variations of his last words? Oh, they're all melodramatic and terrible. They're they're they're, they're <laughs> words that Poe himself would hate. You know, I mean, the, the most common one is uh, you know, uh, God have pity on my poor soul or some such sort of thing. It's this this melodramatic claptrap. I'm, I'm sure Poe himself uh, would have been embarrassed to have been suggested <laughs> that these were his last words. And this all comes from Doctor Moran, Doctor John Moran, who was the attending physician. He'd only been a doctor for a few years. Uh, how much he was actually in attendance is not, you know, is it's we only have his his word um, for 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 those last days. And then we have his three accounts. And if you compare the three accounts, they have nothing to do with each other. The only thing that they have is that there's somebody who's dying named Edgar Allan Poe and he eventually dies. That's about the only thing they have in common. Everything else he changes. And um, 
he famously says in one account that Poe yelled out the name Reynolds. And this has sent, you know, decades of Poe scholars and fans searching for the identity of who Reynolds was. Who was he crying out for? And this, you know, was it this, uh, this, this explorer that he'd written about many years earlier? Was it some kind of election worker? Who was Reynolds? You know, what if he didn't say it at all? What if this was just an invention of this doctor who later fancied himself a writer and started to to write and and his writing is incredibly Victorian heightened melodrama? You know, that's just the type of thing maybe you'd put into something that, you know, is, is a dramatic flair, because in the second account that detail disappears completely. If that is such a big detail and a distinctive detail that he yelled Reynolds for hours, shouldn't it make it into the second account? Isn't that's pretty big. Mm-hmm. No mention of this in the second account, but there is a name Reynolds and now it's a family that came to visit him. It had the name Reynolds. And then in the third account, the family comes to visit him, but the family's no longer named Reynolds. They're now given another name. So, the doctor's evidence again is you have to you have to take almost everything that he says that he left behind with a certain amount of skepticism and and again somebody who would actually change the time of death you know i mean at one point he changes the time of death to midnight oh wouldn't it be great to have poe die at midnight that's better you know so he, he changes the time of death um this is what you're dealing with. This is this is when I say you have unreliable witnesses. You know, I mean, Poe was the one of the great things that Poe created as a short story writer was the unreliable narrator. Right. We read Poe, and is, is is the narrator actually telling us the truth? Is what? How much can we trust of what this narrator is saying? Well, Poe has Poe's life is is just a mess of unreliable witnesses. You know, and I mean that's true of his death, but it's true of his life too. You know, so you you have to take an awful lot. There's an awful lot about Poe we'll never know. And that that's that's true of his life as much as it's true of his death. All right. Well, we're going to have to leave it right there. And we're going to invite people to uh, to unravel the mystery and, and read a mystery of mysteries, the death and life of Edgar Allan Poe, Mark DeWidziak. Uh, we just barely, barely scratched the surface, and that's we on did. purpose. That's on purpose. <laughs> we want people to uh, to be sufficiently tantalized to read the book. Again, the St. Martin's Press is the publisher, and it's available at Amazon. Mark, great to meet you, or speak oh, with you, or rather, again, thanks. this is our second time around. Thank you so much for this. Oh, thank you. I enjoyed it greatly. A new Richard Serrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday.